Hello, this is Harry Thomason, and welcome to The Story You Never Heard, produced, edited, and scored with original music by our friend Benji Gaither in Nashville. On this podcast, we'll tell you stories about your world, your country, your people, and things that happened long ago and not so long ago. Stories you've probably never heard until now. Here's tonight's tale. An Actor's War I walked into my office just after lunch on a fall day in 1993. Before I could sit, there was a slight knock, and I turned to see a person I worked with. For now, just call him Charlie. He seemed quite bothered and stressed. Harry, I need to talk to you. I replied, of course. Come in. He entered. I closed the door, motioning him onto the sofa. Okay, how can I help? He softly related that someone wanted him to speak of his war experiences at a large event in Washington, D.C. He had never done such a thing because of his nightmares, and he could rarely even bring himself to think about the war. But he was under pressure. He asked, could you just listen to me for a few minutes and see if I could even get through it and tell me what you think I should do? Of course I can, Charlie. Silence for a long beat as his eyes filled with tears. Another long beat, and he begins a tale of horror. It lasts for well over an hour, and when it's over, I'm upset and heartbroken for him, and I understand why he is hesitant to speak of it in public. His was one of the early units to land at Normandy on D-Day. June the 6th, 1944. They hit Omaha Beach around dawn. The then 21-year-old recalls the noise and smell of it all. So many shells exploding you could hear no voices, but in brief moments of respite from the guns and bombs, all he heard were screams. The smell of gunpowder was overwhelming, and so was the smell of what he hesitantly called whiffs of death. Almost as soon as his squad got off the landing ground, they ran headlong into a German machine gun emplacement. Soon, most of his fellow squad members are dead. He talked about the guilt and horror of aiming and shooting at real people, even though they were the enemy. But when his friends started dying, he no longer felt any compunction about taking aim. The Washington Post reported that the man sitting on my sofa had to kill seven German soldiers in that first encounter. When the day was over, he was a squad's only survivor and had serious machine gun and shrapnel wounds and was headed for a hospital. Months later, he had recovered from his wounds and was back in the fight in Belgium. Near a heavily wooded area, a German soldier, actually a mere teenager drafted into Hitler's fighting army, suddenly springs out of the shadows with only a bayonet as a weapon and attacks. Charlie immediately sees he can't be over 14 and starts pleading with him, stop, kid, stop, don't make me do this. The boy slices his arm with a bayonet before Charlie shoves him down, knocking off the kid's helmet in the melee. The loud-eyed boy jumps back up, ignoring pleas to back away and stabs or cuts Charlie six more times with a bayonet. As Charlie tries to protect himself with one arm, 
and take away the bayonet with the other. He trips and falls, and the teenager then lunges for him. He picks up a rock and slams the boy in the head several times. It was with enough force to kill the attacker. The man on my sofa, his eyes fill with tears again as he remembers the motionless teenager. After being back in the hospital to treat the bayonet wounds, he recovers in time to fight against the Germans' last gas surprise offensive, the Battle of the Bulge. The German attack starts on December the 16th, 1944. It's overcast and snowing hard, with no air support possible to help the Americans during this surprise attack. Charlie's unit is quickly surrounded by the German 1st SS Panzer Division, and he and hundreds of others are taken prisoner. In order to terrify the Americans, the now desperate Hitler has asked his commanders to show no mercy on the U.S. troops and take no prisoners. The ground is covered with snow on a gray afternoon the next day, December 17, 1944, and Charlie is among about 120 American soldiers who have been gathered in a clearing outside the small Belgium town of Malmody by the Germans. They all stand whispering to each other about the damn bad luck of having to serve out the rest of the war in a German prison camp. They weren't going to have to worry about that. Suddenly, the German SS troops opened fire with machine guns onto the Americans. It is a horrible sight. Some GIs run and are immediately killed by the machine gun fire. More fall where they stand, dead. Others run into a small cafe nearby, but it is soon riddled with bullets and set on fire. Some just fall and play dead. Then the SS troops walk among the 80-plus people lying on the ground, and if anyone is breathing or moving, they shoot them in the head at close range. Charlie has fallen to the snow-covered ground with a chest wound but he stays quiet and unmoving as the German soldiers walk among the bodies. Another hour passes, and he can tell the Germans, with few exceptions, have moved away. The sun is going down. Snow begins falling again. It's hard not to give away that you are alive by shivering on the cold, snow-covered, blood-stained ground. Soon, he feels what he thought was a dead man next to him slightly press a finger against his arm. Then he hears a soft whisper in a southern troll. What, are we just going to stay the hell here and die in the snow or make a damn run for it? The shock Charlie whispers, let's run like hell. A whispered reply, when I touch you again, run for the trees. The German voices continue to die down as daylight fades. It gets colder. Suddenly there was a slap on Charlie's side and a shout of, let's go, buddy. He does, following the other guy. They're surprised to see another GI suddenly spring up from the ground and join them in their sprint for the forest. The Germans are caught by surprise and shout and fire machine gun birds in their general direction, but it's too late, and our guys are safely into the twilight and trees, and they are alive. Several months later, the chest wound causes the man on my sofa's return to the U.S., where he continues his recovery in Army hospitals. He is discharged as Private First Class in January 1946, a month shy of his 23rd birthday. 
He spends another four years in and out of Army hospitals, being treated for the physical and psychological scars of war. Back in my office, we're both wiping away tears from our eyes. After a moment, I told him there was no doubt that if he thought it was at all possible, he had to tell his story because it would be inspirational to generations and maybe even help put away some dark memories. But that was up to him and I had no right to advise him. We talked a long time and he concluded he wanted to think about it one more night. The next day, I saw him and he had a bounce in his step and a big smile on his face. And he told me he had accepted the invitation to speak at the Washington DC event. He did and became a sought after speaker for veterans events around the country. You're probably wondering who this Charlie guy was. Well, he was a cast member of Evening Shade, the award-winning television show that my wife, Linda Bloodworth Thomason created for the late Burt Reynolds and a plethora of stars. He was one of those stars, Charlie Durning, war hero and magnificent actor in hundreds of movies and TV shows. Charlie Durning became very visible in the 1970s when he made a name for himself in The Sting with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. He entertained millions, and even today, when I'm a little down, I go to my computer screen and a short clip of Charlie showing his talent by playing the governor of Texas in another movie as he dances, two-stepping and singing his way through the best little whorehouse in Texas with Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. It never fails to cheer me up. Charlie has an acting award or nomination in almost every category. Four Golden Globes, a Tony, nine Emmys, and several Oscar nominations. He even got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2008. I was there. He winked at me from the speaker's platform. Oh, did I mention the guy sitting on my sofa was also awarded the Silver Star, a Bronze Star, and three Purple Heart Medals, plus nine additional awards, and that he received the French National Order of the Legion of Honor in April 2008? Did Charlie continue to tell about his war experiences? Yes, he did in spades. It helped him deal with the worst part of his life. He participated in functions to honor American veterans, including serving as chairman of the U.S. National Salute to hospitalized veterans. Often he made appearances with another Evening Shade co-star, also a World War II hero, the late Ossie Davis, whom we will cover in a later episode. At the National Memorial Day concert televised on PBS every year, Charlie was an honored guest speaker for 17 years until his death on Christmas Eve, 2012. Private First Class Charles Durning, a warrior, a star, was paid a special tribute during the May 26, 2013 concert when taps were sounded in his honor. this audio adventure and will join us every 10 days for a brand new The Story You Never Heard. To help us continue to produce new and engaging stories, please consider supporting us. Go to our website at www.thestoryyouneverheard.com to find out more. By supporting us, you'll get more stories plus great gifts 
and your support will only cost about the same as a large box of popcorn per month at the movies. Subscribe and treat yourself to a great shared adventure. This show is executive produced by Douglas Jackson, and our technical consultant and website administrator is John Balderson. Thank you for listening. Have a good night, and we'll see you in 10 days.